Me? I love coaching. Now, I'm going to say this again, just so you didn't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. Hit it! I want to rock right now. I'm your host and I came to get down. I'm not internationally known, but I'm known to rock the microphone. Man, you corny! <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back or welcome to Season 10 of the Raise Your Game Show. I'm your host, Alan Stein Jr. The focal point of this season is on core values and the principles, tenets, and standards that make up the foundation of what we believe and how we behave in every area of our life. More importantly... Why having unparalleled clarity and conviction in our core values will drastically improve our decision-making, our performance, and our fulfillment. Joining me today is a relatively new friend, Erica Gertis. We were recently introduced by a mutual friend and instantly hit it off. I have so much admiration and appreciation for her work. Erica is a leadership advisor, speaker, and coach. She works with high-achieving leaders and teams from companies like Google, Pinterest, Twitter, and time to embrace the philosophy of full-range living so they can take bigger risks, have more fun, and make a bigger difference. She is a former 12-year Google Global Business Executive who believes we are most impactful when we are most authentic. For more on Erica, check out ericagertis.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-G-E-R-D-E-S.com. In this series, Erica and I will be discussing her two primary core values, growth and progress and courage. In today's episode, we'll be focusing on growth and progress. Erica and I ended up having such an enthralling conversation. We went off on several valuable tangents, so this will be a two-part episode. Here is part one of our discussion. So Erica... With someone that lives with such great intention and purpose like you do, why is it important for us to have clarity on our core values and core beliefs? It's such a good question that I think so many people underestimate the importance of uh, because most of us are making decisions from a place of what looks good, what sounds good. But when we understand our values, we start to make decisions from a place of what feels good. And most of us have been in situations in our lives where we've, we've made a decision, we've gotten into an experience and we just, we can't figure out why it doesn't feel right. Something just feels like there's um, more friction or it just feels very uncomfortable, but we can't really pinpoint what it is because on the surface, everything looks good. And usually what that comes down to is that there is a core value that's being stepped on, something that we believe that is truly important, that feels really meaningful um, and impactful in our lives. That again, because we aren't consciously making decisions from that place, we don't recognize that it in particular is being stepped on, but rather we just know something's wrong. So by getting to know consciously what our core values are, we start to see what those meaningful things are, those, those triggers, those decision-making points are that enable us to really create lives that are meaningful and feel really good to us individually. The example I like to say is that core values, the reason they're so hard for us is we see through them. We don't see them. So it's kind of like if you were to look at your t-shirt, you don't look at your t-shirt and see the threads 
that make up the fabric, that make up the t-shirt. You just see the the t-shirt. The same thing applies to our lives. We look around and we just see our lives. We don't see the core values that make up the mosaic of decisions that lead to the life that we have built. So when we can more consciously recognize what those values are, it enables us to more um, intentionally create the lives that, that are right for us. I love that. And when you have clarity on your core values, do you think it, I would say, simplifies decision-making or at least makes it easier and more fluid? Because now you have a very distinct filter to run it through. You know, is this decision in alignment with my core values or is it not? Did you find that makes things simpler? Absolutely. I mean, because so much of the time we're, again, we're making decisions based on what everybody else thinks or everybody's advice, or again, what looks good, what sounds good. And this comes down to everything from, uh, you know, where, where we want to live, what kind of jobs we want to take, the companies that we want to work for, the neighborhoods. I mean, everything, big and little decisions that we're making. And when we can say, does this align to my core value? What are my core values? And then again, does this align to it or will this step on it in some way? Then we start to know that this is going to either feel better or worse for us in our lives. And, and again, what I would say is it's much easier for us to recognize when something is being stepped on because we just look for those places in our lives where there, we feel like there is friction. We feel like there is no sort of grease on the tire, so to speak, or on the wheels. And those are the places we can start to look and say, okay, what's really going on? What is it that is, where is there a, a value that's not being honored? And what might I do to shift that? in order to more, to come into alignment with my values. Love it. I can tell we're going to have a fun conversation. So let's go ahead and take (laughs) a look under the hood and let's dive into your first core value, uh, which is growth slash progress. So I'm assuming by that slash, you're kind of using those as synonyms in this, in this case, talk to me about growth and progress uh, and why that's such an important core value for you. So I think, you know, what's, for me, the way I think about, just before I answer that question, um, I, I want to take a step back on, on the values. I don't think we choose our values so much as we mine for them. Oh, and okay. because, I, because the way I see values, these are core beliefs about what is most important in our lives. I can't make myself really care about something that isn't deeply meaningful to me. Um, it's much more likely that I am going to mine for what is deeply meaningful for me. And it will be much easier for me to change my life, to align myself to those beliefs that are deeply meaningful than it will be for me to change my deeply meaningful beliefs yes. to align with my life. And so for me, like I didn't consciously choose growth and progress. It's just as I look around at my life and I say, what are the things, if I can track back to when I make decisions from this place, this calls me forth and enables me to step forward as a um, higher, better version of myself. And when I make decisions from this place, it feels really good. And what are those, like, what are those kind of core operating beliefs that are driving those decisions? Mm. And growth and progress is hands down one of the biggest ones for me. And it always has been. Um, for me, what growth and progress means is, is, I mean, it's what it sounds like, but it's the ability to learn and to evolve and to improve myself in order to become um, better, more whole, more complete, whatever it is. So evolution, transformation, but it used to be that it was achievement. So Mm -hmm. the way that I think about growth and progress is 
me improving, but it used to be that over-indexed when I came from a place of insecurity, growth and progress became achievement. So I, you know, most of my life, I was what I call an overachieving perfectionistic people pleaser. And so I was chasing gold stars and checking all the boxes and doing all the things I should do and becoming the person I should be. And it enabled me to achieve a lot, but it was very hollow because what was deep and meaningful wasn't being addressed. It wasn't that I was personally growing. It's that I was just, you know, collecting a bunch of gold stars. And so when I was able to detach from that sort of extrinsic motivation of achievement and make it much more about how am I growing? How am I progressing? Then any steps I'm taking that enable that growth and progress become really meaningful for me. What caused that mind shift or change in perspective to, to start focusing more on the process and less on the outcomes and to detach from that uh, achievement? A lot of inner work. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, for many of us, I think one of the biggest, at least for the types of people that I'm, I'm working with, who many of whom are high performers, high achievers, overachievers like myself, um, it's the shift from looking to the outside to looking to the inside. And when we're able to shift from that extrinsic motivation, the stuff on the outside that's driving us to instead identifying what's really true for us inside, what's going on, both what are we afraid of and what is, you know, again, deep and meaningful, what are these beliefs and core values that we have? Um, then that is when we str truly start to discover who we actually are and bring more of that to the world. For me, that all started um, eight years ago. Well, I've always been a seeker. I've one of my, another kind of core value of mine is curiosity and, and learning. And so it's all related. So I've always been a seeker and always been very interested in like, <laughs> what's wrong with me? And about eight years, but for the most of the time I was looking to the outside, what's wrong with me? How are these experiences causing me to react the way I am? How are these people causing me to react the way I am as opposed to going, what am I doing that's causing me to react the way I am? And eight years ago, when my second daughter was born, at two weeks old, we discovered she had a tumor on her spinal cord and she had to have a seven hour spinal neurosurgery when she was three months old. And as I was in the hospital with her throughout her recovery, I had a thought that entirely changed my life because it made me that experience because of the stress and pressure of it made me really evaluate how I was living and for whom and start to recognize that the only way I was ever truly going to be happy in my life because I was 33 and feeling like I was waiting for my life to start was that I had to take responsibility to make the changes that I was looking to the outside to make. And so it was in that shift, that pivot point that became the fundamental pivot point of my life where I stopped looking outside and started looking inside and started to detach from achievement, started to detach from some of these other things that I continue to deal with um, that has been the, the greatest journey of my life. Well, it, it sounds like that would be incredibly liberating. Uh, I, I feel like uh, for different reasons, I'm on kind of a similar path and a similar journey. I know we've had many uh, off-record discussions about that. <laughs> and it sounds to me like you're moving towards a place where you'll be able to achieve a, a true sense of inner peace because you're not letting uh, circumstances and situations and events uh, and achievement and what people say and what people do, you're not letting the outer world dictate your inner world, which is how I think most people operate. And most, you know, for most people, when things are going well, I'm in a good mood. When things are not going well, I'm in a bad mood, which means we're always at the mercy of circumstance. Uh, and same thing with achievement. 
If your identity and self-worth is tied to achievement, then anytime you fall short of a goal, even if it was an incredibly lofty goal, you're going to feel less than, you're going to feel like you failed. And then if that's your identity, then you're going to feel bad. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's a system that just sounds like we can't win, which is why I decided to get off of that roller coaster. You know, I I think I'm a little bit behind you. I did not see the light eight years ago. Mine's probably been about a two year journey, um, but I'm glad that I'm making steps in that direction. Uh, I love so much of what you just said, because um, I mean, just because I discovered it eight years ago doesn't mean that I practice it every single day. It's a lifelong journey for me. And I mean, I, I was very addicted to that behavior. And it's and it is really hard for somebody who's a um, an overachiever. It's hard to do inner work because the inner work means that there's very little to show for it on the outside. Yeah. It isn't until we feel different than then all of a sudden now the stuff on the outside changes. But for many of us who are driven by doing stuff on the outside, by, by achieving and, you know, like going big or going home, we're used to seeing, hearing the cheerleaders cheering on the sidelines and, you know, getting all the high fives and all the accolades and the recognition. And so it's very, very hard to detach from that. And, you know, I fall into it still and it, and to allow ourselves to not be, um, motivated by or dictated by everybody else's accolades and achievement and recognition is it can be a constant challenge, but it's one that, again, you know, the way I look at it is it's progress. <laughs> the yes. more times that I choose me over choosing the, whatever the thing is on the outside, yeah. that's progress. That's, and that is how I keep moving forward because I go, okay, it's not progress. It's, it's not perfection. It's progress. Uh, I, but I almost feel like we have a culture and we were certainly raised in the middle of it. Yeah. It's it, kind of created this. And it's, you know, it, even with young children in almost every area of life, we tend to praise outcomes and not the process. I mean, I mean, school's even the best example. Uh, most people aren't even concerned with whether or not they're learning the material. All they're concerned with is what grade they get when they regurgitate it on a test. We're not concerned if they're improving their fundamentals as a basketball player. We're just concerned with whether they make the team or whether they score X number of points or whether they win the game. And it's uh, so I feel like most of society is is staring right at these outcomes, these results and whether or not you achieve. So it's easy to get lost in that. And and even totally very well-intentioned parents that love their children just as much as we love ours. tend to praise outcomes instead of the process. And, and I think we condition people that by the time they're adults, they're taught, yeah, if I want to receive praise and affection and appreciation, then I need to achieve. So it's, it's, there's no wonder you were an overachiever. I mean, that's kind of the system we've all been put into. Yes. And I'm very good at performing in that way. And many of us are. And I think I love some of the words that you chose um, because we are conditioned. It's part of our socialization. And to what you said earlier around identity, um, this is one of the things that I'm most fascinated by because it, it wasn't, so my, my path is that eight years ago after I um, really realized I was living for everybody else and not for me and started making some pretty significant changes in my life, which started by the inner, from the inner work, it resulted in me getting divorced and then ultimately leaving my 12 year career at Google. So like I was, you know, the prototypical (laughs) gold star collector. It wasn't until I left Google that I recognized finally that my identity was entirely wrapped up in what I did and where I worked. And which at a deeper level meant my identity was tied up in 
achievement, recognition, and all of the things that come from the ex the outside, the external um, recognition. And so, um, what I'm really fascinated by now is how our identity gets in the way of our authenticity. Because when we define ourselves by who we think we should be and stay away from who we can't be, because to, to be any of those things or to not be any of those things means that we risk our belonging, we risk our um, acceptance, we risk love, then that means that we can't be ourselves. We can't even know who that is. And so we have to be willing to look at what are those sort of identity triggers? What, what are those parts of us that we believe we should be or we can't be? Because all of that means that we're staying away from who we truly are. And to what you said, this all starts incredibly early. You know, we don't learn identity as adults unless there's some really traumatic event that happens. We learn identity. Our identity is shaped by the time we're around seven years old. And all of that comes from how did we learn love? How did we learn acceptance? How did we learn approval. And so the more that we do the things that get us the love and approval and acceptance that we need in order to feel safe physically, then we start to unconsciously believe that those are necessary for our survival. And so then, you know, our unconscious goes, okay, so I want to survive. I got to do these things. And then it becomes almost impossible for us until we bring conscious awareness to it to detach from that because at a very deep psychological level, physiologically, our body believes it's necessary for our survival. So that's why we get into these situations, you know, at 40 years old, we, we think, well, I want to detach from achievement and start to go on my inner journey. And yet we get into situations and we cannot figure out why we can't do it. And it comes down to all of those very unconscious, deeply held identity beliefs that we have. Yeah. And it starts with some unlearning. I mean, that's the, exactly. The, the we have to take is being able yeah. to acknowledge that this identity that we've associated with and we think is us for most people for multiple decades is not necessarily true and we have to be able to unlearn all of that programming yeah and then yeah. when you start going from conscious to unconscious and back and forth i mean it's it's incredibly difficult uh, two questions one how do you measure your growth and your progress now uh, if we're not going to use, you know, mm -hmm. use achievement as the barometer would be question yeah. one. Question two is, uh, what do you do now when you find yourself momentarily reverting back to previous behavior and feeling like you need to collect a gold star and you catch yourself? How do you course correct? Mm. So one of my, to answer question one first, um, one of my favorite mantras is do what feels good. Ah. So I, I, that is how I measure my, how am I doing is how does it feel? Does it feel good? Because the more that I make decisions that feel good, both in the moment, because, you know, we've, anybody who's done self or inner work knows that there are a lot of moments of feeling like you're in the depths that don't feel good, even when you're unlearning. Um, and so that it can be challenging, but it's, Am I doing things that feel good, that feel like progress, that feel like growth? And again, that goes back to my, my core value um, because again, the more that I, I can feel like I am evolving, the more, the, the better I feel and the more I feel good. But one thing I will say is that for many people, we have detached ourselves entirely from feeling and because we're so identified with to use that word, but because we're so focused on our heads and, you know, like what we think um, that we don't even recognize that 
like what it is we actually feel or what we want or what we enjoy. And so one of the earliest things that I um, work on with, with many of my one-on-one clients is starting to actually literally feel their bodies because the more that we can get into touch with physically how we are feeling, the easier it is to both recognize what feels good and to now answer your second question, what doesn't feel good? Because um, there are lots of times where every single day we're going to get triggered. Um, and when we do, what the way that it works, so our unconscious, when we get triggered, our unconscious goes, oh, I know what to do. And it goes, I'm going to operate. I'm going to cue this very old habit um, to keep myself safe, like collect a gold star or whatever it is. And so the first thing that happens is we physiologically will start to prepare for fight or flight. And so physiologically, we can actually, if we start tuning in, we can feel our body start to get stressed out, get anxious, um, you know, sweat, get red, whatever your, your pattern is. And in that moment, so I teach uh, in, in the work that I do, I teach it, I call it a, a magic wand because it's a simple three-step process that we can you apply in any moment in order to shift from reactivity to intentionality. And uh, it's to reflect, accept, redirect. And so whenever we notice ourselves starting to get triggered again, because physiologically we notice it or, you know, whatever it is we start, we notice we're spinning out. The first step is reflect instead of going outward and immediately reacting from that sort of habitual place, we reflect inward. What is the story I'm telling myself? What is the experience I'm having? For many of us, I was just talking with a client um, a little bit ago and he was saying, you know, I get into situations and I'm meeting with a, a new manager and I feel like I have to prove myself. So in that moment, the story that he might be telling himself. So instead of immediately trying to prove himself or show how smart he is or whatever, the reflect could be, what is the story I'm telling myself? The story is I feel I need to prove myself because if I don't, he's going to think I'm stupid. And if he thinks I'm stupid, then I'm going to lose credibility. If I lose credibility, I'll lose my job. If I lose my job, I'll live under a bridge. Most of us live under a bridge in our kind of worst case scenarios. Um, and so that's reflect because the thing is we're usually reacting to prevent that worst case scenario, not whatever's actually happening in the situation. Mm. And so then accept is to accept like, okay, there's the story. There's that trigger. There's that thing that's coming up that's been happening for multiple decades, as you said. But instead of shaming ourselves for having noticed it, we celebrate the fact that we did. Jill Bolte-Taylor, she's a neuroscientist um, or neuropsychologist, something. She has um, been able to study that a, the physiological lifespan of, a, of an emotion is 90 seconds. Oh, wow. So if you could, yeah, isn't that amazing? So if you can just allow an emotion to come up, that physiological experience of, you know, the shame, the protectiveness, the reactiveness, whatever it is to come up and just not do anything to it, it'll peak and go away in 90 seconds. The only thing that keeps it there longer is when we attach to it. And now we start thinking about it and we ruminate over it. So accepting it just is like, okay, there it is. Just let it be there. Don't do anything to it. And then redirect to say, okay, well, how do I really want to show up in this moment? What is a more authentic and intentional way of showing up? In this case, you know, many, for many of us, it's what's a core value that I want to honor or like what feels more true and accurate for me. So that is the way that I shift when I notice myself getting reactive. Well, so it sounds like a couple of things that are in alignment with that. Uh, one um, is, is working on our ability to be patient, especially with ourselves and saying, okay, I don't have to respond or react in two seconds. 
I can let myself feel this, especially if I know that within 90 seconds, it's going to peak and dissipate. Um, yeah. It's also about giving ourselves some grace and giving ourselves permission to feel certain things and saying, you know, it's okay that I feel frustrated or I feel insecure or I feel like this person's not going to accept me. It's okay that I temporarily allowed my mind to tell the story that I'm going to live under a bridge, even though I know consciously that's not going to happen. So it sounds like patience and grace uh, is kind of woven into the ability to give ourselves some permission to just feel how we feel. Yes. I, and that's exactly, I, I mean, I could have said, I could have summarized everything in that sentence that you just said, give ourselves permission to feel how we feel. Because most of the time, that's exactly what we're not doing. We're trying to pretend we don't feel a certain way. We're trying to avoid feeling certain things. When we allow ourselves to actually feel it and then move through it, then we can really honor the, the truer, higher version of ourselves versus the reactive, more, um, you know, uh, psychological, like um, unconscious side of ourselves. Well, that's it for this episode. We had such a fun conversation that we decided to break it into two parts. Eric and I will continue this discussion next week, so make sure you tune in. And we both appreciate you investing your time with us. I hope we helped you raise your game. Before you go, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you committed to ending 2021 on a high note? Are you open-minded to investing in your team's development or raising the game of the audience at your next event? If so, I've recently reorganized my content into four new programs. Each of these signature programs is highly customized and can be delivered as a captivating keynote, an interactive workshop, or a full day training. I have Raise Your Game to improve individual performance. Raise Their Game to improve leadership performance. Raise Our Game to improve organizational performance. And Raise Your Sales to improve sales performance. For more details on each of these programs or to invest in your team or event now, please visit allensteinjr.com.